Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. April 15th, 1840, when Elder Orson Hyde left on his mission to go to the Holy Land to dedicate Palestine for the return of the Jews. And I told you that two years previous to that had been very difficult for Orson. He had, in effect, become disaffected from the church, had left, been excommunicated, and then had repented, came back to Nauvoo, was met by the prophet Joseph Smith and welcomed, forgiven, rebaptized, and reinstated into his position in the Quorum of the Twelve. Well, here's a little bit of backstory, and I'll move very quickly through this because I have a lot more I want to talk about. The, the backstory of Orson going to Palestine to dedicate the land for the return of the Jews goes all the way back to 1832. He joined the church in 31. In 1832, he's given a blessing and a promise that someday he would preach the gospel to the nations of the Jews. Then in 1835, he's called as an apostle, and once again, that promise is reiterated. He's promised he would preach the gospel to Jew and Gentile. Then in Nauvoo, after he's come back to the church, it's March 1840. Orson is at home in his log cabin there with his family, and in the dreams of the night, he experiences a remarkable vision. His mind was filled with light, and he saw the cities of London, Amsterdam, Constantinople, and others. Evidently, from the reading of it, the vision was so vivid and so real, and he saw himself preaching the gospel, and he saw himself in the city of Jerusalem. Well, shortly thereafter, in April conference, Orson stood up and related that vision to the conference. Right after that, another apostle, John E. Page, stood up and said with great power and force, it is part of our doctrine that the Jews must be gathered home. Well, the conference, and this is one of those situations where be careful what you talk about, because the conference voted to send Orson to Palestine to dedicate the land for the return of the Jews. Then the prophet Joseph stood up and said, I ratify that, and I think John E. Page should go with him. All in favor, please manifest it. And suddenly the two of them were called on a mission to go to Palestine. Now, this is at the same time that the other ten apostles are going to England to preach the gospel. But Orson and John are going to Palestine. Well, It's April 15th when Orson sets out from Nauvoo. Now, a little by-the-way story. On their way east, John and Orson stop in the town of Dayton, Ohio. And there, they run into an old friend, a former member of the church, someone who had also been caught up in the difficulties in Missouri and had become disaffected and left the church. And he, too had seen the error of his ways, and he wanted to come back. But he, too, said, 
I just don't think Joseph could forgive me. And Orson was quick to say, oh, if you believe that, you don't know Joseph. So on the strength of that, this man wrote a letter to the prophet Joseph asking to come back. And the last line of that letter, return letter, by the prophet Joseph Smith has become famous. Come on, dear brother, for friends at first are friends again at last. He was welcome to return. So William W. Phelps returned to Nauvoo, just like Orson, and was forgiven by the prophet Joseph Smith, rebaptized. It has been said that so grateful was William W. Phelps and so devoted to the prophet after that, that when the prophet died, it was William W. Phelps who was called upon to preach the prophet's funeral sermon. And somewhere after that, penned the words to one of our most powerful hymns, Praise to the Man. Orson went on. In February of 1841, he sets sail for London, spends time in London. From London, he goes to Rotterdam. From Rotterdam, he goes to Amsterdam. And there, from there, he goes to Germany. Now, his visa gets hung up in Germany, and he can't go on. So he moves in with the family, and according to Orson, learns German in eight days and practices his German while he's languishing there and writes a tract, which becomes, as I understand it, one of the first times in this dispensation that Joseph Smith's first vision was actually written down and published to all the world. Well, finally, Orson leaves Germany October 20th, 1841. He arrives in Jerusalem. On the morning of October 24th, 1841, Orson, now all along the way, he's been meeting with the rabbis, gathering information, learning, teaching, but now on the morning of October 24th, just before dawn, he gets up and he goes out of St. Stephen's Gate on the east side of Jerusalem, goes down the hill into the Kidron Valley, and then climbs to the top of the Mount of Olives just as it begins to break day. And as he had seen himself do in vision, he sat down on a rock and he penned the dedicatory prayer by revelation. And then he knelt, read it, and dedicated Palestine for the return of the Jews. He would comment, and all I can do is paraphrase it, but he would say, is this real? Am I really here? Or is this just a dream of a night vision? Am I really standing in the great city where our Savior wept? After he finished the dedication, he raised a mound of stones as was customary for the time. And then he went through the city. He went to the pools of Bethesda, went to the pool of Siloam, toured the famous sites in the city of Jerusalem. And then a few days later, set out to return home. He arrived home in December of 1842. Now there's so much that happened among the Jews in the land of Palestine from that point forward. 
but it would require another night and someone much smarter than me to tell that story. Now, the next story I want to share with you is the miracles and the mercies of the restoration. Our Father in heaven is good, and our Savior has the power to change people. Even the most heathen, like myself, have the power to change. The year was 1875. The town was Liverpool, England. Two missionaries were walking home one night along the docks there in Liverpool when they saw a lad, 9, 10, 11 years old, just a boy, and he was dirty dressed, looked like a street urchin, and it was late at night, and thinking he shouldn't be out that late, they offered to walk him home. So he agreed, and they walked the lad home. When they got to his home, they met the boy's mother. She was a widow with four small children living in the most terrible poverty. Well, the missionaries, bless their heart, offered to teach the family, and their message was received. The family was baptized. Now, according to the story as told by President Harold B. Lee and others, one of those missionaries who taught them went home shortly after that, and as he reported his mission, he was heard to say, I feel like my mission's been a failure because all I've been able to do is teach one dirty little Irish kid. Well, the missionary went home, and evidently, from the sources it appears, he went back to his home in Montana. Many, many years passed, and one day, now we're somewhere past 1933, so that missionary is a fairly old man by now. One day, he gets a knock on his door, and as he opens up the door, there stood a distinguished-looking gentleman. He wasn't very tall, only about five foot five inches tall, but he had a commanding presence. The man said, are you elder so-and-so? Calling him by name. And the man said, yes, I am. Did you once say that you felt like your mission was a failure because all you had done is baptized one dirty little Irish boy? And the missionary said, I did. And then the visitor said, I would like to shake hands with you. My name is Charles A. Callis of the Council of the Twelve Apostles. I was that dirty little Irish kid. President Harold B. Lee loved that story. I love that story because in some measure, though not of the same stature, I feel a little bit like the prodigal son at times. But you know, most of the time, the story stops right there. But thanks to the research of Dr. Richard Bennett at BYU, we know a little bit more about Charles A. Callis. Not only was he a member of the Council of the Twelve Apostles, but what Wilford Woodruff was to missionary work in the 19th century, Charles A. Callis was to missionary work in the early 20th century. He was one of our greatest missionaries, a powerful speaker, a great orator, and a very driven and motivated man. If sometimes, and especially these times when we're all locked up, you feel like your time is wasted, your efforts are in vain, I assure you, don't be discouraged. You just never know what good 
the Lord will make of your efforts in the lives of someone else later on. Second story I would like to share with you is a gift. This story was given to me by Dr. Kenneth Alford at BYU, and it comes from his family history. And I'm going to talk about that. Don't let me forget, but I want to talk about your family history for a minute when we get down to the end of this. This is the story. With his wife, Mary, standing by his side, Robert Henderson of Penston, Scotland, was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Immediately after his baptism, hands were laid on his head, and he was promised, among other things, that he would immigrate to Zion. He would come to Utah, to these mountains. Now that was virtually impossible. Robert Henderson was a poor Scottish coal miner, living in poverty. There was no way that was ever going to happen, at least according to him. Nevertheless, he believed and he continued faithful in his native land and life went on. Well, one night, Robert came home from working in the mine and announced to his wife that there was trouble in the mine that there was evidently noxious gases rising up in the mine, and that there was a need to dig a new ventilation shaft, or the miners were going to walk off the job. Well, and he said that the mine company was putting out a bid for someone to dig the shaft. Well, according to the account, Mary, his wife, said, you should bid on that job. And Robert's response evidently was, me? Are you kidding? I don't have tools. I don't have equipment. There's, I don't have a crew. I, I can't do it. And yet Mary insisted. Well, I don't know whether that was out of obedience or frustration, but for one reason or another, Robert agreed to put in a bid. To his dismay, his bid was accepted. Can you just picture Robert Henderson getting up one morning at the crack of dawn with a pick and shovel over each shoulder and walking out towards the mine. And according to the accounts, it appears that he just walked up on top of a hill over the mine shaft and stuck his shovel and started to dig. He dug and he dug and he dug until he was down so deep, digging by himself, that he couldn't throw the dirt any out of the hole. What am I going to do now? Well, he kept digging and all of a sudden, Ting! The shovel hit rock. Now, my first reaction would be, oh, great. What am I going to do now? But he kept digging. And then, wait a minute. As he opened up and exposed the rock, there was a crack in the rock, a big crack. He cleared the crack and discovered that it was a fault and went all the way down to the mine shaft. When he opened it up, it provided better ventilation than any shaft anyone could possibly have dug. The mine owners were so grateful to Robert Henderson that even though he had worked only a few days on what should have taken him months, he was paid the full amount. And shortly after that, 
May 30th, 1863, Robert and Mary Henderson set sail from Liverpool, England on the ship, Sign Ashore, and came to Utah. And as I said, their great-great-great-grandson, Kenneth Alford, is a professor of church history and doctrine at BYU. I love that story because if there's something that's right that you're called to do, I believe the Lord will open the way, even for people like us that are just common, ordinary sinners. The Lord will open the way. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.